I was welcoming it. You know, I was there in the moment. I, I was observing my mind saying set up. I, it was saying set up. I knew there was a higher purpose for me to remain in the arrow position. Like that is a more aerodynamic position. That gave me the best opportunity to have the best time. And can I suffer or suffer? Can I, can I accept this uncomfortableness for the next few miles? Yeah, of course I can. And then I just did. And I think these are the switches that I've hinted to you a few times on my training rides, sitting right here where we're recording this podcast. Like, I have a breakthrough. I had a breakthrough. Little, little breakthroughs where I would push a new uh, wattage or I was able to, you know, accomplish a workout which I hadn't finished before. Like, those are little wins. And I think all these little wins are starting to present themselves in, in the exact instance when they when they're needed i think when you as an athlete can realize you can accomplish the distance and you can put that on the back burner and begin to do the real work that's where i feel like you can grasp the improvements that you desire Hey everyone, welcome back to the YTP. This is Jess, I'm your host. I'm here at the beach today. Hey people. And this is episode 55. We're bringing you the May installment of Ask the YTs. We're coming off of Ironman Santa Rosa 70.3. And we're here to talk a little bit about that today and also get into some listener questions. But before I start, I just want to thank you guys for tuning in, for supporting the show. And BJ and I have been really digging into our why behind Yogi Triathlete and, you know, what we've come up with because we know we're different. We know we're not just a triathlon training company or yoga teachers or um, nutritionists because we're not nutritionists. We're not doctors. We're not dietitians. We're just two people that have found a way to live life that works and we want to share it. And we believe that by sharing it, that we are going to create a better world. And we, when I say we, I mean all of us. And we think you guys are on board with that too. And so through, so through Yogi Triathlete, how do we do that? How do we create a better world? Well, we do that through cultivating the best in our athletes, sharing stories through this podcast, teaching mindfulness in our yoga classes, and promoting a healthy lifestyle through plant-based nutrition. And we're psyched to have you guys on board. So please, we do. We need your support, and we're asking for it. Like, I ask for it every week, but I'm actually really asking for it this week. Leave a review on iTunes. Go to the Patreon page. $5 a month really helps you guys. We're not in this to fill our bank account. We are in this to create a better world, and you guys are a part of it. So um, we thank you so much. If you are somebody out there that listens all the time and we haven't heard from you, maybe showing your support is just reaching out to us and letting us know how the podcast is affecting your life. What yeah, else, let, us, let us know that you're, you're out there. Let us hit it, send us an email, send us a tweet, uh, go to the website. There's plenty of opportunities for you to connect with us. Uh, sign up for our newsletter, sign up to be on our list. All you have to do is drop your email on the website. There's a footer uh, area you can do it. There's a, uh, if you go to yogitriathlete.com slash cookbook, you can leave your email there and be notified when we launch our amazing power-packed cookbook for athletes. 
Yeah, it's going to be for the athlete appetite. So I'm working really hard on that. But anyway, we love you guys. And um, we know you love us because we are all one. This is a big love fest now. It's seriously, it's hard work, like living this warrior path. You guys know it because you're on it too. You're listening in and um, we're psyched to share it with you. But we always love to know that you're out there and uh, we do need the support to keep the show going, like really. So um, anyway, that's enough on that. Let's move on to creating a better world. And how are we going to do that today, BJ? I think you've got some stuff to share about your last race experience that will help to create a better world because you experienced some things that you really had to push through and some fears and some mind stuff. And I think it's amazing. And and this is how we do it piece by piece, Um, knowing that we don't have to indulge every thought. We don't have to act on every impulse and that we are, we are in fact better than that, that we are these amazing, powerful beings and we choose our limits. We do. Yeah. If you're awake and ready, you can see uh, unlimited possibilities to see ways that you can improve your life. And that just happened leading into Ironman Santa Rosa. If you hear us stirring, it's because it's, we're drinking Nola's cacao. It's almost five o'clock on Friday and we're... We're on our second podcast today. Still jamming. So we're drinking some <laughs> some cacao, and I'm going to do some yoga, and you've got a... Got a brick to do. A brick to do. Why not do it later? We have, sure. no, so, we have no social life. Nor do I really need, want right. a social life. Uh, to me, a nightmare scenario is having to go out on a Friday night. So, so if you're out there on the town <laughs> in Carlsbad tonight, and you see a dude running around <laughs> yeah. in spandex... That's our Friday night out. <laughs> no, but that's what we choose. That's what right. we choose. All right, so let's get into it, BJ. You're funny because we've been together now for 20 years, and uh, I've been completely in love with you for probably about 22. Right back at you. <laughs> and uh, you're my guru. You're certainly mine. You think, and I, I've said this to you before, but I think you think that you share more than you do, but you actually don't. And so as we were driving up for the race, you were talking about, you know, fear and, and all of this. And you were saying, well, you know how, you know, I was scared of being on the swim. And I'm like, I have no idea because I think you keep a lot inside and I think you share a lot more than you do. So this is kind of news to me. And I just, I loved what you shared uh, with me about your race experience. So why don't you just take us through your day or any kind of prep that you needed to do to keep you know, like mental housekeeping leading up to the race that maybe you thought you shared with me, but you didn't. So you're saying I've had these conversations in my mind <laughs> well, with myself. I, let me tell you, <laughs> I have many conversations in my mind with myself. I just don't bring them up. Yeah. I just on. don't pretend that I have talked to somebody about them. I think it started before we even left when we had to bring our bikes in to get tuned because we haven't really ridden outside since we've been in Southern California and we're doing our first race and uh, our bikes needed to be updated because we just have been riding on the trainer. So definitely get some sweat soaked in there and haven't been out on the road. So they need to be road ready. So we brought them in and we had some serious work that needed to be done. Well, I'm so glad that they finally found that on my bike. Like I've been saying yeah, for years, years. You've had an issue for. I've been a long saying time. like I need new brakes. I right. just need new brakes, and I keep bringing them in 
to places and they're like, oh, we'll give you the 149, uh, you know, run down on the bike and the full tune. And, and I always get it back and I still have crappy brakes that right. get stuck. And I've definitely done Ironmans with brakes rubbing. And so I am free of that. I've worked out my rubbing brake karma. So I had to get brand new brakes it wasn't like it wasn't the 149 tune. It was like uh, it was like five hundred dollars yeah. to get my bike. Fixed. It started to add up. But I love like what our meditation teacher always because we work a lot around like fear of money and and I don't know what it's just inbred in us and maybe people share this as well. And he always just says, well, whatever the price is, it is. Like we don't have to make a big deal out of it. it just is that price, and you can either pay that price or not pay that price. Like, it's pretty simple. So I was like, all right, well, it's $500. Yeah, it's a value system. There's yeah. a certain... Like, I have $500 right. in my savings account, so I guess that's what I'll use it for, and that's what it's there for. And if I put this whole mentality of scarcity around it, then, you know, that next $500 is going to be a lot harder to come by. So I needed new brakes. I had a cracked rear tire. <laughs> it, was, it was unsafe. It was unfit for the road. But she's good. I'm good. But yours had a, a longer story. Yeah. So I actually had to change a part particular to uh, Quintana Roo for my bike. It was on the, the hangar area and it was actually bent in. And I don't know how that happened. Oh, I think you know how that happened. But I know how that happened. <laughs> it was six months on the road putting the bike up as a barrier to put in two huge duffel bags, tent supplies crash pads, and anything Yoga else mats. Anything else that we didn't want in the car, we threw up on the car, sandwiched between our two bikes. Like so, any triathlete that cares anything about their bike would have been cringed. horrified. Yeah. by Because literally we were using our bikes to not be a hazard on the road, to like keep the bags on the roof. Right, and then I would pretty much <laughs> strap the whole thing together, like with these big ratchet straps. Yeah. And it wasn't just once we calculated and I don't know the exact number, but we calculated that we moved in the, in six months we moved. And when I say moved, like we moved, we, we had everything we owned in that car. We moved 30, I think it was like 36 times in the course of six months. So that's 36 times of jamming big, huge, heavy duffel bags, waterproof duffel bags up against your bike. So it's no, uh, no surprise that something got bent. But it was like the tiniest little thing that caused the hugest delay. We went to leave first thing Thursday morning, like super early to get up to Santa Rosa so we would beat the LA traffic. And it turned out the part wasn't going to come in till late that day. Didn't come in till, so we were about nine hours delayed from when we thought we were going to leave Once to leave when four, we left. We probably left around one. Yeah. In the afternoon. I think we left even later. Than or that. maybe later. But anyway, it anyway, was just funny because, so how did we look at it? It was just, we just rolled with it. It was just yeah. part of what we were given. I was like, something is, I saw it as protection, right? Yeah. Like something is, we're not supposed to be on that road. So whether it was to learn a lesson of going with the flow or was to avoid an accident on the road, I don't know what it was for. We don't need to know what it was for, but that it was happened. the plan the whole yeah. time. And you just accept it and you can give it a lot of energy and focus or you can just accept it and move forward. Right. It wasn't the day before the race. It was two days before the race. Right. It was fine. So it was all, ideally, had, it'd be great to be up there early, <laughs> but it didn't happen. So we got up there late. Super late. Yep. Checked into Hit our Hit LA place. traffic. Oh, yeah. I would say Boston traffic was, was a heck of a lot worse than what we experienced in LA that day. But what was our, we were pushing 
pushing, pushing to get to Whole Foods, the first Whole Foods oh, yeah. between here and Santa Rosa. So and there's this huge gap. <laughs> there's this huge gap. Once you get north of LA, you go over this pass and then you drop down into the valley and there's a huge, there's nothing for many, many, many miles. And so at one point, unfortunately, there's a couple factory farms, which always um, throw us off our block a little bit, but we just, we just send out all the love. We're like, we love you guys. We're vegan. We love you. This is your path. It's okay. But <laughs> anyway, there's a, the closest Whole Foods was in Dublin. Dublin. Which and it closes was at 10. Southeast of like Oakland. And we had three hours and we were like, we can do it. We can do it. We got there at quarter of 10. Yeah. We rolled into the parking lot and just blazed through and got all our food that we needed for race prep as yep. well as it was awesome. some kick-ass uh, whole food salad bar. So even though we didn't, like we could have focused on timing not working on our side, but then timing totally worked on our side. So we focused on that. Like we right. got there, we got all our stuff. So that was one less thing that we had to do on Friday. Next day, we went and checked in. We walked down to registration, which is we stayed right at, uh, in town about a half a mile outside of where T1 was at an Airbnb, which was actually perfect. And I wish we could do, use it for the Ironman, but... But some other smart Ironman already got right. it. Right. It's a really sweet It's spot. a really great place. Really, really Whoever gets that spot, spot, they're going to be so yeah. fired up. So we got, you know, just the stuff done on, on that day. We met up with Heldsburg Running Company, our buddies. Heldsburg. Heldsburg. I think it's Heldsburg. Running Company. We've been corrected before. Okay. Heldsburg. So we saw Heels. Yeah. Uh, Skip and... Ralph. Ralphie. And then we met so many people. I mean, in that gap right there, we met like the vegan MD. We met, we met a bunch of people. Yeah, we met a vegan pediatrician who's doing a residency up in Oakland, and she's um, agreed to be on the show, so we'll be bringing her to you guys at some point. But all you parents out there, I think she's going to have some really awesome insight. But yeah. no expectations. We'll just see how it goes. <laughs> she's pretty awesome, though. So that, the registration day happened. We ate our food. We went up to the lake. We... Got into the water. They, they were saying it was pretty cold. The course changed the day before to be the opposite way. So instead of then going uh, out left, the course went right under the bridge and looped around, which was a bit more protective because they were anticipating higher winds. Which we had. Which we had. Uh, but the water was, was a little brisk, but we, we got our faces in and swam. And I, I really didn't feel anything in that practice swim. I, I felt like we were just rolling with it. So let's get to race morning. So race morning, we did our typical routine of getting up three hours before the actual time that we'll be going off, which was 6.30. So we were up at three to get our breakfast in. And then we walked down to the buses, which Jess already mentioned where we met, met Monica. And took the buses up. The shuttle, shuttle process is, was pretty simple. Uh, Ironman Santa Rosa 70.3 has two transition zones, which is not your typical setup for a half Ironman. But... It was the way the old Vine Man course was and is the way that this one is. And so we took the shuttle up about a 30 to 40 minute ride, shuttle ride up to Lake Sonoma, which was pretty uneventful. So yeah, so we were up there and it was it was super exciting. I, I don't know, I had the, not the nerves, but I was I had the excitement. Um, the swirling energy. The swirly, that swirly energy <laughs> as they taught us in <laughs> yoga teacher training. It's just swirly energy. Just, it's just swirly energy, don't label it. <laughs> And it, but it was really cool because you're like surrounded by all these athletes and volunteers and you're getting ready. You're putting on your wetsuit and 
it can be as stressful or not as stressful as you want it to be. You know, you go up and you put your stuff on your bike that's already racked, your nutrition, you get your bike computer on, you put your shoes on the on the bike, you turn in your morning clothes bag and now you're in your wetsuit and now you just wait till the start of the swim. And start peeing. And start peeing. Of course, you want to stay warm. So Jess and I got down there early enough where we walked down to the swim start and they had all the age groups or they had all the times staggered. So it was a rolling start. It was a little chilly, but we walked down with socks on and a lot of people were wearing shoes because you've got about a quarter mile from the swim exit to T1 and it's not carpeted the whole way. And so you're on pavement and it's rough. I think socks or shoes, a lot of people, we brought socks because we were just going to ditch them, but people brought shoes and then grabbed their shoes on the way out of the swim, which I would absolutely do that the next time because I had already ditched my socks, but it was, for me, it was brutal. It was really, really intense. My freezing cold feet on that, um, on that pavement getting up to T1. So, and I had a different experience exiting the water and running up the hill because it is a hill. It's pretty steep. Uh, I jogged the whole way. <laughs> I did not. My feet were frozen, so I really couldn't feel them because I guess the water was pretty chilly for the toes, extremities. But I ran up or jogged up the entire way and found it to be okay. I didn't have any issues. I ha- I was like literally crippled. Like I yeah. couldn't even, it was like, I'm like, I felt like I was at a Tony Robbins walking on hot coals conference. So for everyone, there's your two different experiences. Yeah, if you get cold feet, which I, that really shocked me. I didn't realize it was going to be as brutal as it was on on my feet. And it wasn't for everyone, but for me it was. So if you are sensitive in that way, just reduce the suffering and land yourself some shoes or slippers or even socks would have helped. Anything, because the gravelly uh, asphalt was getting stuck in my feet. And, and it's a long haul once you get up to T1, you still had to go all the way. I was like, oh my God, I still had to go all the way around. Just be in the moment. Just be in the moment. Just be in your breath. It's fine. It's only sensation until I label it as pain. I was like, oh my God, it hurts so bad. So, the, so, so let's talk about the swim. The swim was pretty... swim was awesome. It was pretty good. In the past, and I'm talking long past, I would have anticipation looking at some of these swims like... You know, the sun's going to be in your eyes or the water's going to be cold or I'm going to get hit or I'm going to get kicked. Now I approach it as I, it's just a normal swim. I'm prepared for this. I'm diving in. Let's get this thing started. So the, the, there's been a mind shift. I don't take it out super hard and that's what I'm going to be working on. But I just kind of get into the water and I just go. And then I just get into my pace and then I sight the buoys. And I think one of the key components is knowing where you're going. So I think it was last year, the year before, where I really, really started to focus on sighting. Swim three or four strokes, sight. Three or four strokes, sight. Continually looking where you're going, and it keeps you straight. It keeps you aware of your surroundings. And if you practice it, it becomes comfortable. So do you want to share what you've been doing in the pool? Because you've been doing a lot of sighting in the pool. Yeah, so in the pool, we're in the phase now where we're working specifically on race-specific uh scenarios so we will sight so i will do just today i did 300 this is the main set 300 sighting two times every 25 yards so that's and it's about a 75 80 percent effort 
and then I'm going into eight 100s at a progressive pace, and I'm sighting every two to three times per 25. And so you're swimming, like you get up to like 90% and you're still sighting. Right. So it's a really good thing to practice. It is. It, it sure. puts you in that element when you get to race day because even if you're not going 90% on race day, your heart is still elevated because you're in anticipation of your surroundings of getting hit. You're in open water. You can't see the black line. There's a lot of external factors that you don't get in a pool. So do you feel like we called it the swirly energy? Do you, I mean, you, did you feel that before the gun went off and you were standing there? No. Really? No. I mean, I still kind of feel it. I feel the energy and it may just be the energy of what's happening around me. But um, I do my breathing exercises and things like that to get myself open. But I've always loved, pretty much loved the swim. But I think the next step for you is go, you got to go out hard. Yeah, that's what I'm working on. But th- you can't do it all at once. Like you no, you got to break it down. Build. Yeah. Yeah. That's and, the next step for and you. And I though. love the swim. Like I really love the swim now. And I think a lot of it has to do with the, specific, the specificity that I've been doing in the pool. What do you think is the biggest mistake that people make training for like open water swimming or in the pool, training for Ironman, half Ironman? specifically. Oh, yeah. I, I think sighting is a big one, but I also think intensity. I think people get into that cruise pace. Like this is my pace that I'm going to hit. So I'm just going to go and swim two or 3000 yards at that pace. I feel like fitness is built through intervals in the pool this year. Well, last year and this year specifically bumping up the effort in the pool. Like I do on the run, like I, in runs, I can push it really hard and get into that zone where I'm like being comfortable with that hard effort. But I never really embraced that in the in the pool. And now I am. And I feel like that really prepares you when you get to a race scenario. Because like I said, your heart rate is elevated just because of the external factors that right. are going on. Right. So it's pretty important. Mm. So the swim was good. We did one loop. We came back around. Uh, the swim was great. The swim was great. The sun never got my eyes. I felt, I think we talked about this, but we both felt like a drag of the people. I, like, as soon momentum. as we turned mm. that, we made the first big turn. And then as soon as we took the second turn and started heading back, I felt like I was uh, on the back of my dad's boat, like, and he was pulling me on the inner tube. I mean, I really got, so don't shy away from being in the a group, crew. For sure. Because it will pull you. And if you're worried about getting punched in the head, I can tell you that I got punched hard in the head during the swim. And I was like, all right, oh, okay. I just got punched in the head. Um, all right, well, it's done now. Like, I'm okay, I'm still swimming. But had I been, you know, spent a whole bunch of time prior to the swim worrying about getting punched in the head, I mean, it doesn't, you can't know how it's gonna be or how you're gonna react to it until you get punched in the head. So I got punched in the head. It was totally fine. I kept swimming. I hurt a little bit, but it was fine. It was no lasting results. And I was more impressed with how amazing this girl was swimming when she went past me. She just punched me in the head and just kept going. And she was super smooth. And I tried to stay on her feet, but I did get on somebody's feet for a while. And that, I felt like that, that swim was so effortless. I felt really, really good and calm in the middle of all this crazy chaos. And it was choppy and but it was awesome. And, and I think it's important. That's a perfect example for athletes where they, they do get punched. Now you can either react and get all frustrated and upset at that person or at yourself or build up this big story, or you can just let them go because really all they're trying to do is swim 
past you to get to keep going. Yeah, she was a better swimmer than I was. Right. But that's you a great- can anticipate how getting punched in the head is going to be. And if I got punched in the head again, it would be different. I got punched in the eye in a warm up swim before fifty four thirty long course in Boulder one year, and I remember just coming up and the guy just nailed me right in the eye socket, and I was like, oh, that was way worse than the punch in the head. Uh, at Santa Rosa, but I survived both of them. I, you know, literally had a race that race with like a throbbing, like black eye, but you deal with it. It was fine. And there's no use in anticipating what that's going to be like. Just when it gets dealt with you, you're strong enough to deal with it. Exactly. Right? Yeah. All right. So let's go to the bike because you pushed the bike good. Yeah, yeah. So, so we ran up the big hill and got into transition. And because it was cold, took the extra time to put on some sleeves, some arm warmers. I had knees to put on and and gloves and I think a cap too to, and socks to put on. But I didn't. I just went with the arms and gloves. Which is insane. If anybody was, saw my T1 time, it was like 18 minutes. You which put a is, lot on. Which is insane. Yeah. I would say 17 minutes of that was me trying to get up into T1. But I totally bundled up. <laughs> I was so bundled up. And the reason why is because the f- the first few miles is the descent from Lake Sonoma. Yeah. Well, so. and that's the difference of somebody who's competitively racing to get to Kona. Not that you could qualify at a half, but you need to be racing with those guys and somebody who's not. So I was like, I'm going to take my time and put on my knees and my arms and my shirt and hat and gloves and then I'll go. And socks. So you were bundled up pretty well. It was ridiculous. I was totally yeah. bundled up, but I was really comfortable and I had a great ride. I felt like I pushed it on the bike. I kind of went right from the beginning. And normally in the past where I would, you know, work into my bike and settle into my pace and, and push it near the end, I just went I just went and cycled how I felt. Like I just went strong. And I used my power tap for the first time. Actually, the first time outside on the road. <laughs> So I had my Garmin computer there and, and it, it was reading numbers because I want to use the data for the future, but I really wasn't going by anything. I just knew what my FTP was and I wanted to stay below it. So I biked really strong and, and ha- I, I felt like I had a really good ride. I gave a good effort. The last few miles I was telling you was a little uncomfortable in the position because I haven't really ridden hard in the arrow in a while. So I forced myself to stay in arrow the last five or six miles where I wanted, I was itching, you know, trying to get up, you know, fidgeting a little bit, but I just stayed in arrow. I'm like, I can stay in arrow, stay in arrow, ticking off miles, you know, 50, 51, 52, 53. I got to 55. I said, I have one more mile. I can stay in arrow. So I just stayed there really compact because I knew that gave me the best. But you were, had like, you were in like a battle of the mind. For sure. I think this is where your yoga skills come in so so clearly is that you were resisting the impulses of your mind, which is what we practice in yoga, resisting, not indulging every impulse of the mind. Yeah, it'd be easy for me to sit up and it's my default, like I would sit up, but. So you were like racing hard and like paving a new neural pathway. Yeah, I think as I, you were doing I it. paved a neural pathway for the entire race. I think mm-hmm. I'm setting new norms and. Do you think that it's, it's worth it? Absolutely. So was your mind getting louder? It was like, sit up, sit up. Was it saying it was. that louder? And you were just... I was resisting. So how were you resisting it? I was welcoming it. You know, I was there in the moment. I, I was observing my mind saying, sit up. 
it was saying set up. I knew there was a higher purpose for me to remain in the arrow position. Like that is a more aerodynamic position that gave me the best opportunity to have the best time. And can I suffer or suffer? Can I, can I accept this uncomfortableness for the next few miles? Yeah, of course I can. And then I just did. And I think these are the switches that I've hinted to you a few times on my training rides, sitting right here where we're recording this podcast. Like I have a breakthrough, I had a breakthrough. Little, little breakthroughs where I would push a new uh, wattage or I was able to you know, accomplish a workout which I hadn't finished before. Like those are little wins. And I think all these little wins are starting to present themselves in, in the exact instance when, they, when they're needed. I think when you, as an athlete, can realize you can accomplish the distance and you can put that on the back burner and begin to do the real work, that's where I feel like you can grasp the improvements that you desire. So off the bike. Well, wait, talk about the road conditions. People want to know about oh, yeah, road, road conditions. So road was good and and not good. I had to rely on my New England riding <laughs> skills a few times. There were definitely there was definitely mark markings out there, the big orange markings that said, here's some bumps, here's some holes. But there were opportunities to really wreck. Really wreck. That yeah. were not marked at all. And they were in shaded turns where you would come around a corner and you're looking <laughs> at the middle because you're riding to the right and you look at the middle of the road where the white where the yellow line is and there's like a big ridge back. <laughs> right? There's like a ridge back of like you know that exact tw- 20 or 30 feet in the middle of the road. And if you were to hit that, if you were to just turn your bike to the left perpendicular to it and hit it, you would go over even if you were just like going Wicked one mile hard. an hour. Yeah. Wicked hard. So there were some sections out there which were definitely yeah. questionable. Yeah. So I guess what we're saying is they're going to mark the course, but you got to be awake and ready on that bike. Look alive. No zoning out because there's a ton of opportunities to wreck. I mean, seriously, anybody from the East Coast, you know what it's like. You can be dry, riding on the East Coast and you have to be prepared for large areas of missing pavement. There were areas like that out there. I mean, it's not horrendous, but there's definitely some roads that need repaving in a big way. But we they had a harsh, <laughs> California harsh winter, and, um, and that was the result of it. So just be awake and ready out mm-hmm. there. The shiz. And the Ironman course is slightly different than the half, but it, it runs along some of the, most of the same roads, so. Yeah. So off the bike, out of my shoes. Weather was perfect. Weather for the was run. perfect. Oh, it was so Amazing. nice. Amazing. I had no feeling in my toes when I took out my feet on top of my cycling shoes, which I do in the last mile. My toes on both sides were completely white, so I had no blood flow in there, which is which is normal um, <laughs> when it comes to racing. And I was the absolute last <laughs> you know, it was spot in transition. It was a long haul. Number 2720. I, I don't I know think. if it's going to be the same transition it's a long, area. Long but if it's the same transition, transition area as Iron Man, it was more than that. It was oh, okay. like three blocks. It is really, really long. So uh, you either are going to be running a far away with your bike. It's not fat, it's just really long and narrow because it's literally say, on a city street. I'd say it's about four or five racks across. 
Yeah. And then like super deep, like almost yeah, like, three blocks. Yeah, so like I got off my bike, and hit transition <laughs> two, and then ran for three blocks like with can- my bike in bare feet <laughs> that I couldn't feel with white toes, <laughs> just wanting to get on that run. <laughs> yeah, like you can't even see the end of transition no. when you get into transition. It, it was just funny. It was la- I was laughing, actually. I wasn't that... Um, you weren't that far from me. I wasn't that far from yeah. you. I had to go a long way too. But I literally, my spot, if you went to my spot and looked up, it was the run exit, like... <laughs> Run out. 10 feet, run out. <laughs> so uh, I racked my bike and <laughs> emptied my run bag and got my, got my stuff. And I had planned, this is so funny, I planned to put on my Garmin watch because I wanted to collect the data. And for those that know how I race, I prefer not to wear a watch when it comes to the race, especially on the run portion. I just, I really like to get into my body and, and feel feel the effort and not have anything hold me back. And so I, I had every inclination to use my watch. And as I left transition, I had everything I was supposed to have, except a half mile in, I realized I didn't have my watch. So funny. It just wasn't <laughs> on your radar. So again, the same thing. This is uh, works over and over again. I had half a banana with me out of transition two. Had the half banana get into my nutrition plan, which has been, which I started to use at, at Ironman Louisville last year was just, I, I'm taking in Coke early and then water. So Coke, water, Coke, water. So aid station two, I took in Coke at aid station three, I took in water at aid station four. I took it and I just kept that pattern going over and over again. And for me, that's what works for me. And we were just talking about this last night at the, the plant power talk, but you know, I'm, I'm t- not tied to this plan. I will go on the fly. I'll change things depending on how I feel, what my effort's like. But I went, I hit this run really strong. Like I was passing people right from the start. And the run course is in, is a four mile out and back. It, you can't, how can you even explain this run course? It's it, crazy. It's, it's on shaded dirt trail and on the sidewalk and on a paved trail. And the volunteers were amazing because this thing is a grid. It's a maze. Yeah, you, so there's a few bridges where you have to go, you run up over the bridge and then you have to circle back around on the other side. And there's one pivotal point where there's a volunteer there that's saying first lap or second lap, because if you're on your first lap, you need to go back under the bridge and continue going further away from the finish. When you're finishing the run, that's where you go and, and come in. But there's like I two or three spots. I could never quite figure out where I was. It was pretty crazy. It's a really, it's a beautiful run course. Awesome run course flat the only hills are to go over the bridges yeah sort of like tempe it's really a great great run there's um a a section of it that's you know dirt trail which was awesome and yeah a lot of shade as the day gets on less shade Mm. i noticed my second loop i had less shade but it was cool i was never like super hot i felt like it was it was like perfect temperatures yeah the run course is awesome so you were you were kicking it clicking off miles and and passing people and then I think we got to the halfway mark and I was going into town and you do a little turnaround and then you go back out for, I think, half of that distance and then you come back. So the second loop is a little shorter. But along that way, I think somewhere I lost the mile markers. Because uh, uh, there was no mile markers. I think the last one I saw was seven. Si- seven? Seven. Or six or seven. And then I didn't see another I didn't see anything until mile 10. marker. I saw 10 and then I didn't see anything until the finish. <laughs> So, but that's a good thing when you don't have a watch, you don't have mile markers, you're just like running. 
And there was a point around mile seven, so I was on that second loop, and I was on the dirt trail, and I was still kicking up a pretty good pace, and I'm passing people. Nobody really was passing me. And a thought came into my mind that, questioning, can I hold this pace for the remainder of the run? Can I, am I going too hard? Do I need to, you know, pull back a little bit so that you can finish the race? So doubting yourself. Yeah. And it was strong. It was, it, and I was completely aware at this moment of this thought coming in. And I was able to now. Like there was you and then there was the thought. Yeah. Like there was two. There's an observer. Yeah. And there was the actual thought. Mm-hmm. And, and being able to see that and to frame it in a way where I literally was telling myself, ha ha, oh, that's great. You, you just showed yourself. That's so great. Like funny, funny how you're showing yourself now, but I'm not going to listen to you. You know, I have work to do here. Yeah, dude, that's, uh, that's serious mind mastery right there. That is, that's, that's the difference between you and anyone else that's not meditating. Yeah. Pretty much. And I, and I, and we've been talking a lot about fear too, and it wasn't blocking out the fear of not being able to finish. It was like, oh, fear, you're coming along too. Like, come, come run with me. Fearless. Being fearless is ridiculous. You can't be fearless. Fear, get on my back because I'm going to carry you to the finish with me. (laughs) Because I know you're on my side. Because I know you're on my side, right. You just want to protect me. But I, I really can't say it enough how important it is to, to be in the moment and, and, not just talk about being in the moment, but be there in the moment and, and realize these thoughts that are coming through and giving them attention and letting them rule your day or your experience or you noticing them and welcoming them in and continue on your way. Right. And I was able to separate the two and I was able to continue the run at that pace, if not faster, looking at my paces afterwards because I didn't have my watch, so I didn't know how fast I was running. But afterwards, it showed that I was running faster. And after I completed this experience, I know I can go even faster now. Like I know when I return to this race, I have the potential. I don't have the potential. I can run faster than I ran at Santa Rosa. So it was a really good experience to bring meditation, detachment from results in your watch and embracing the unknown. It comes full circle to a great race experience. And I crossed the finish line running really strong and really hard. And I even passed someone down the chute because I was running I was running well. And I just had a big smile on my face. And, and then I was done. And then the race was over. And then it doesn't exist anymore. And then it doesn't exist. Exactly. And I was like, <laughs> okay, now what do I need to do? Now I need to go back to the house, get Clark, and come back and watch Jess finish. Mm-hmm. Like, you just... My relationship with racing has changed and evolved so much over the past two or three years. What's the biggest, what's the biggest thing that you've seen in this evolution? If I had to pinpoint one thing, yeah, I, I really think it's the meditation. I really think sitting quietly with yourself and your thoughts really allows you to, to, to widen the gap to see what the gap is between your thoughts and action. Yeah. Well, and we've had some amazing coaches on the podcast and they all kind of talk about it. Like it, what's coming to mind is Neil Henderson mm. from Apex Coaching. And he talks about, you know, do you have a, a relaxation protocol, right? So 
another word for that, I mean, really would be meditation, right? So these coaches are talking about how important it is to just being able to take space to notice your thoughts. This is the mental training. You can call it whatever you want. Like people work with me and they call it mindfulness or they call it like, oh, I'm de-stressing. You can call it whatever you want. It's meditation that we're doing. We're bringing in a practice that allows you to get into a space where you can see your thoughts. And that's huge because if you can see your thoughts, then there's you that's seeing and then there's the thoughts. So just by that simple mathematic equation, you are not your thoughts. If you can see them, they are not you. Right. And so you don't you have ha- to listen to all of them. Right. You, you're actually in control. You but, are actually in control. Yeah, dude. And, but man, they will get loud. They will get so loud. They will get so demanding. And if it even gets to that point, for most people, they're just, they're just hooked into that first impulse. But even if you're trying to get that space, you know, this is the warrior path, like they're going to get so loud and you just have to keep, it's like a, it's like a bad, it's like a breakup from a bad relationship. And you're just like, I just have to keep saying, no, I'm not getting back into this. I'm not getting back. I'm not listening to that thought about slowing down because I'm fine right now. And I can hold this pace. And that's how we start to lift our limits because we're the ones, right? We're the ones that start to put ourselves back in the box. Right. Yeah, that, that's where true growth is happening. Yeah. In that moment. It's cool. And you asked me about that, and I'm thinking now too, also, I think yoga, the practice of yoga and being in poses and holding long poses and being okay and breathing and being aware of your thoughts. So I think I think it's a combination of the two. Yeah, I mean, those poses, like you're holding those poses and your mind is saying, okay, I'm done. Like, I've got sensation in my body. I already did a big run today. Well, that's the like, thing, that right there. I'm I've done. already run, I've already swam. Yeah, I've already, who, I don't I have, have to nothing, hold this. Yeah, what, what is this warrior Yes, two? you do. But it's like, no, this is it. Yeah. This is what's going to get you to the other side of being um, a, a, gr- a, a good athlete and your greatest athlete. You know, and, and then being your greatest athlete to get back to the biggest purpose behind all of this. Like when you are your greatest, the world is a better place because now your greatest energy is out there. So why are we holding ourselves back? Yeah, we're the only ones holding, yeah. holding ourselves. Yeah. And so as I continue on this journey, because I've got a big, big race season ahead, I'm just going to continually... build upon this. It's so exciting. It's such a a refreshing experience to frame your relationship with the sport that you love, that we love, and be okay with whatever the outcome is, as long as you know that you're continually growing and and building yourself toward all the momentum towards what you truly want to achieve. Like, I kind of have this like, oh, it'd be cool to break five, uh, break six hours again at that race. But I knew that I was... Well, transition I was, one. Yes, I knew I was losing that in that transition. And I remember thinking to myself, like, are you okay with this? You're making choices right now. My fingers weren't working, so I couldn't really get... I was, like, kind of, like, just slapping around, like, these dead hands trying to put on my arm warmers. And I was laughing because I was just like, you're... This is it right here. Here's the difference between you breaking six hours and not breaking six hours. And I'm like, you know what? I don't want to be, I moved to Southern California because I don't want to be cold anymore. And now I'm in California and I'm cold. Like, I don't want to be cold. So to me in that moment, I was like, I'm going to race that sub six hour race 
but it's going to be over six hours because I'm taking my time here, you know, and you got to be okay with those decisions, mm-hmm. but bringing that consciousness into it and not beating myself up because I, oh, I went over, you know, my goal or whatever. And it's like, well, I went over my goal because I had a new goal and my new goal was I'm going to be warm on that ride. I don't want to be cold anymore. Yeah. So that <laughs> perfect. Like you detach from your goals right. that you might have had the night and before the morning of like it's, so funny it's just constantly changing me not breaking six hours was literally that transition yeah. it's so funny i love it but um yeah great race so if you have any more questions about the course or anything like that but we will see you up there in july and if you guys are listening and you're doing this race and you've got family and friends um Clark and I are going to be in town having coffee while they're all out on the swim and the bike because we're not going up to the swim so we'll be hanging out if Anyone wants to bring their yoga mat, we can bust out some yoga, like whatever. Um, we will be there, so reach out to us. Okay, let, you want to move into some questions? Yeah, let's Do you have anything else questions. to say? Okay. No. All right, Valerie. Valerie! Isn't that a song? Valerie. Or was that Valkyrie? Steve Winwood. I think it is Valerie. Valerie. Was yeah. it Valkyrie? Oh, no, that was. That um, was. Uh, okay. Yeah. Valerie <laughs> says, I would like to know what Jess's training was like for the 50K and how she prepared. We'll break this down. She's got a lot of questions. Can you still train for that caliber of race without conditions on the course? So I think she's saying like... Without having trails and mountains. Without having yeah. trails. So she's talking about the Mendocino 50K that I ran on Earth Day in April. What type of nutrients do you think were key for this type of race? And was it different from the Santa Rosa race? Yes, it was. What type of meditation techniques or mantras did you use during the 50K race? What was the key to be able to transition from running a 50K then into Ironman? Oh, the most important question, what zeal sunglasses were you rocking for the 50K? <laughs> All right, so let's break it down. The first question is going to well, go to you, BJ. Let's let's go back because um, for those that didn't know, Jess did a 50K in Mendocino three weeks before. She just did Ironman Santa Rosa 70.3. Yes. So. And I purposefully put those, bundled those races up because in the past I had found myself in judgment of other people thinking that they were doing too many big races too close together. And I thought, well, look at that judgment. I mean, I I don't think, I don't know if I caught myself in judgment and was like, I'm going to do it, but I wanted to do the 50K and then I wanted to do Santa Rosa and I was like, oh, wow, this is, and I I thought I'm going to do both of them and I was like, wow, this is the exact thing that I would like persecute other people for doing. So why don't I do it and then see how it is? And it was awesome. I loved it. I loved it. I loved doing it. Okay. So Val wants to know what did my training look like for the 50K and how did I prepare? So I'm going to defer that to you because you're my coach. Yeah. So for the 50K... Uh, so this was new territory for you and your body and, and running. Yeah. And you as a coach to train me for Mm -hmm. an ultra and then half Ironman. Right. So you love to swim. So I'm going to start there. So I knew that your swim needed to be two times a week tops to get in the pool and do quality work. So, you know, an hour at a time that kept you great for recovery from your runs, but also kept you in touch with the feel of the water for the 70.3. You're, you're running, you know, in the past, you've had been challenged with potential uh, feet, uh, yeah, like plantar fasciitis issues. And, and some other things. So what my strategy was, was to load your running with smaller, more frequent runs. Uh, some intensity, 
some intensity, some race pace, you know, 70.3 race pace stuff, but getting you out there to slowly build your, your longer runs. And your longer runs started at, probably at an hour, and I would have you hike or walk for an additional 15 or 20 minutes. And it got to the point where you were going on the trails here in, in Carlsbad, you were running maybe two and a half hours, almost three hours, I think at your biggest, and then going out for a hike immediately after that, continuing on for another half hour or 45 minutes. And then immediately getting in the pool. And then getting in the pool for recovery. So for recovery, that was, that was, I will, I will never, I never say never, but I'm going to say never right now. I will never train for an ultra marathon without having the pool because I would come off that, the, the long training run, like. I would like go from the trails to the pool and I'd be like, oh my God, oh my God, my legs, I am crushed. And then I would come out of the pool and I would just be like, oh my God, I feel amazing. And there's nothing like getting out of the pool and then like putting your jammies right on. Like I would just put my jammies on, like which is essentially what I wear every day, like my jammies on. And then I'd come home and have a beautiful high vibe dinner and then go to bed. But that, the pool was huge, huge. I think you were doing those on Mondays too. Yes, that was huge. So just number-wise, so people can, can comprehend this, your number of weekly runs ranged from maybe five to maybe seven to eight uh, on occasion, because sometimes I would have you do double runs of, of short, shorter distances. Your top weekly mileage was what? 40, almost 45 miles. And when did, how many times did you hit that? Once. Okay. I was hovering around 32, 33 for weeks, okay. like around that 45, like really comfortable there. And how many hours roughly a week? It was probably like eight. No, it was actually more yeah. than I thought training. Okay. Um, running, not running. Well, you were doing yoga. Yeah, I, I was doing yoga. I was biking. Biking. And swimming. Running, swimming. And doing strength for a lot of it too. So I was around, I would say average 15 hours a week. But take the bike away. Take You know what I mean? Like yeah. somebody who's just training for an ultra, you wouldn't be doing all that stuff unless you needed the cross training for fitness and, and things like that. So, and also with, with the forethought of doing the triathlon, I would have you do occasionally an, a half an hour to an hour bike before your long run so that you were stacking, you, you were stacking longer workouts. The intensity was low. It was more about time working out. Mm-hmm. Because when you got to the race in Mendocino, you were out there for seven, eight. I, I was out over, there for over eight hours. So over eight hours. So it, it shows you she com- just completed the 50K with, you know, less than 15 hours a week training, less than your longest run was three hours, like actual running time mm-hmm. was three hours. And you only went up over 40 miles once. That's and that's low volume. That's low I volume, in my for, opinion. Yeah, it's right. low. But volume. I took into account your body, your situation, your goals, your lifestyle. I was also working on running biomecha- mm-hmm. I was reworking my biomechanics. I was learning how to run in a completely different way, and I was working on um, something that was about to be an, an injury. And then the craziest thing was that it was healing. It was so beautiful. It was healing through all of this. And now that doesn't say, that doesn't like mean that some days it didn't feel great. Like you pushed me mentally. Like I was really, I was on the razor's edge at the end. Um, and 
there were times where my leg was really, really sore and I would have the thought of like, you're never even going to make it to this 50, you're not, you're not going to be able to do it. But I saw that thought and I was like, that's not even my, that's, this is what I do now. I'm like, that's not even my thought. Like, that's not even mine. It's just a thought. So I can make it mine or I can just leave it out there to fade away. And so I would just let those thoughts fade away. My meditation teacher says about injury, he's like, when, when it, and it's so weird because it's like so counter what we think we're supposed to do. But this is just how I work in my own, this is what makes sense to me. This is how I work in my own life. I don't see things in the worldly sense anymore. I see everything as energy. And so what we work on is when that leg would start to flare up, I would bring my attention in the absolute opposite direction. And I would do due diligence, but I would never feed it. And it got, it got really tricky because you as my coach, I was like, really, really is intense right now. But like, I didn't even want to talk to you about it because I didn't, because even by talking about it, I'm feeding it. Yeah, yeah. So it's spiritual work is really what it is. It's just, I'm not recommending that people do this until you're ready to do it until you can actually see that this makes sense. And it's for me, it's the only thing that makes sense. But yeah, my body was healing through all of this, which is amazing. But you pushed me, you really pushed me to the edge, but then you tapered me so perfect. I had a really rough, like last week of training was really rough. I entered taper feeling not great. And again, not feeding it, not talking to you really about it. I think you know me so well that you knew like, mm-hmm. oh, she's not, she's not 100%. But I shouldn't have been 100% on Monday of race week. No. No. So you think you answered that, how I prepared? Yeah. Okay. But then did you want to talk about how you led, went from uh, 50K to the half? Or Well, let's go into the, into the next question. Just, uh, yeah, we can talk about that real quick because that was easy. Yeah, that was, uh, you had enough run fitness. So yeah. I backed way off on the run. Had you run like two, maybe three I times. I ran like nothing. Yeah. And it, they were short runs because she had the fitness and it was only three weeks and you're not going to lose anything. But I had her focus on the bike, bike training because the bike was a big part of your day. You know, you're going to be out there for a long time and you want to be able to run to your potential, which I which love I saying. did. Yeah. So working on the bike and, and getting back in the pool for recovery because recovery was super key after doing an eight hour race on your feet. And you did, you were walking around great the day after, but you still had inflammation. So it was important to wait that week to keep, keep you topped off with some light biking and definitely swimming, but also give it that time to flush things out and then get you back on some shorter runs. And you approached that half Ironman wonderfully. Like you had an awesome run. Oh my God. It was so awesome. So yeah, essentially I recovered really well. I got back to training like right away and I recovered that first week. And then the second week it was like, it was like, I was like a wet towel and you were just squeezing whatever you could out of me. Like you brought me up to the Tuesday before Santa Rosa and had me ride like a 115% like intervals over FTP. And I was just like, mentally, you took me right back to the edge and I was literally like, yeah, I must have started, I don't know how many texts to you, like, dude, you're killing me on this bike. And I'm like, wait a minute, why are you texting him while you're on the bike, which is not helpful, and you're complaining, which is not helpful, and you're feeding the fact that you think you're suffering, and so you're just going to suffer more. But I think once I was done, I was like, whoa, that was intense. 
I'm done now. Like I'm as, done now. But as a coach, it's I wanted to. So some insight. I want to capture the fitness that you have. Top it off as much as possible. You did, and you can safely do that on the bike. If I wouldn't put you through anything hard on the run, like that would definitely be asking for something to happen. But I knew on the bike we could get a, squeeze a little bit more out, get you in the mindset of race mentality on the bike, like right. get you ready to to be pushing it out there, not just cruising along. Yeah, because you told me to push it. Of course, right. it's like the night before, I'm like, what am I doing for strategy? And you were like, I want you to push the bike. And my legs were burning that entire bike. I don't know if I've done a half Ironman like that before, but But yeah, that was opportunity. It was, it it was, was super smooth transition. And I just want to say that mindset is everything. I came off of the 50K knowing that in three weeks I was going to race a triathlon in like not a sprint. And so I had to get back to work. And so I was in that mindset. That said, after Santa Rosa, I haven't done anything but yoga every day. I've gotten back to my strength exercises, but I've done yoga every day. I'm like back to just super juicy long meditations. And, and like I, I was saying this to you last night, PJ, like I really need to come down the other side of the hill. Not everybody does. But I do because I love meditation and yoga. It's like the the scales are shifting. And I love triathlon and, and ultra running and all of that. But I love meditation and yoga too. And, and those things, sometimes they get sacrificed. I mean, meditation, not really because it's such a non-negotiable for me. But for the last two weeks, I've like done, I've only done yoga every day and it's been amazing. I feel, my body feels so good. But I came off of that race and mentally it was like i let go and said okay now you get to rest and i was exhausted the first week like i couldn't get enough sleep i was so tired i did not bounce like i bounced from the 50k and i think a lot of that is mindset a lot of it is okay so second part of her question can you still train for that caliber of race without conditions on the course so i think what she's talking about is can you train for a trail race when you don't have a lot of access to trails? Absolutely. Yeah. Without a doubt, you can. The, the experience I can, I can draw upon, not only yours, but I can draw upon the, the guy that I helped pace at the Leadville 100. Oh, yeah. This is crazy that yeah. you did that. So I was supposed to pace a, a friend in Colorado. And at the 50-mile mark, you can get a pacer to go back. It's basically at the end of Hope Pass. So I was there and he couldn't go. And then they were calling out people who would volunteer to help anybody because any of these runners can get a pacer. And, and this particular guy from Ohio had no pacer. So I said, I'd pace him for the 10 miles over Hope pa up and over Hope Pass. So I did. I carried his backpack and we I mean, went along and learned that he had done all his training in Ohio and he had only arrived a day or two earlier for, for the race. <laughs> crazy. And he was not, he was, if you saw him on the street, you'd be like, he is a supermarket um, <laughs> checkout clerk guy. That does not exercise. <laughs> that does not exercise. He was the most normal looking person and he was... He was an animal. An animal. He finished the Leadville 100 and a lot of people attempt that race and cannot finish it in the time frame. And so I paced him. And so the point is, he lives in Ohio and it was flat. And he said he didn't really train on any hills or on trails, but he had time. Like he was out there running time, like four or five hour runs, like just going out and running where he could on the streets. Yeah. So to Valerie's question, absolutely, you can, you can mimic it. And I know Valerie in, in the conditions that she's in, I used to run on. So I know 
that we we able to get hills in there for sure, up and over hills. Oh yeah, so hill training hill. won't be a problem. Yep. Statuesque is a perfect place. It's a two mile loop. You can get trails. Yeah, natural, just get like, into the trails. Dirt. But also, she could go to in Arcadia. So Valerie was one of our podcast early podcast guests. She's amazing. She's a yogi, and um, she's been listening to the Yogi Triathlete podcast. And now she wants to do her first twenty. Well, let's just call her out right now. Valerie is doing a 25K trail run next June, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> she's like, ah, oh, you guys. Um, <laughs> and she's completely capable of doing it. She has not run, like she's running now, but she hadn't been running for a long time. She has an amazing story of her transition to a plant-based diet. And ever since she's been on a plant-based diet, not only has she completely healed um, her Hashimoto's autoimmune disorder, I believe it's autoimmune, if, um, but it's related to your thyroid. So I apologize if I'm misspeaking on that. Um, completely healed that. And she's running again. And she feels awesome. So she's going to be training with us for the 25K next year. And she's got three kids and a husband and full busy yoga schedule. And she's a business owner and she's just unbelievable. This girl's unstoppable. But one thing that Val can do too is she can go out uh, west in um, to like Arcadia mm -hmm. Park out there. And even just to get on the trails once a month or a couple times once you start yeah. getting closer to the race, that will be absolutely fine. She'll be fine. It's, it's the structure of She'll the training. She'll have the fitness. And right. she's got, what I don't worry about with her at all is, you know, when you're running on trail, sometimes you've got like that instability or whatever, but because she's such a strong yogi, she's got the balance because she's doing the balancing poses. And that's what you need is the strength and the resiliency in the ankles. Mm -hmm. And she's got that. So she'll be totally fine. So the answer to that question is yes. Absolutely. Okay. What type of nutrients do you think were key for this, for this type of race, so the ultra? And was it different from Santa Rosa? So you can speak to that. Yeah, it was different. The ultra, I was not moving as fast because I was hiking because there were hills and, you know, there were steep ones that I couldn't run up, not at my level. And so I was able to eat more, like I was eating peanut butter and jellies. I had some peanut butter and jellies on the course, which I would never eat a peanut butter and jelly during an Ironman or a half Ironman. I just wouldn't, peanut butter is really fatty and oily and does not work well for me when I'm going out to work out. Almond butter is a different story. I can do a little bit of almond butter, but I would never take that kind of food in during like an Ironman or anything, especially a half Ironman where I'm actually, I'm pushing, I'm pushing that run. Like I'm running like, you know, as fast as I, I can out there. But I was still, there were similarities in that I was using Amrita bars. I used Amrita bars for both um, and bananas. Bananas are just the ultimate. We're on a, a big, we're, big banana yeah, binge right we're now. We're on a big banana phase in our life right now. It's, it's, it's very rare that we don't have two bunches of bananas. And yeah, I know. I, and I want to I we go to start this just buying them by, by the, the crate. crate. Yeah. I think bananas are a magical food. But that's what works for me. I can run hard with banana. I can't run hard with a full banana, so I take like quarters or whatever. So there were similarities in the nutrition, but during the actual race, I was taking in like P&Js and I had a couple chips during the ultra, but chips- Chocolate are, chips? No, 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 chips. Like, no, my favorite kind of chips. They were ripple kettle chips, <laughs> salty ripple kettle chips. But I know from experience that- I start hammering chips and then I go out for a run and that doesn't work. They're oily. That doesn't work for me at all. 
Santa Rosa, um, I took in two Amrita bars on the bike and then I took a gel. I didn't take any gels during the ultra. And then on the run, I was just super topped off on the run. So I really didn't take much in at all. I took in one glucose fruit chew at mile three, another one at mile five, and then at mile seven, I started taking in uh, little sips of Coke and that's how I fueled the run at Santa Rosa. So totally different as far as that is concerned. But that's also a lot of experience of understanding what works for my body and understanding that like I came off that bike and I'm so aware of how I felt that I was like, I am so topped off right now. If I put any food in me, I'm just going to start belching and I'm just going to have too much in my body. And I knew I was going to run hard. So very different experiences, a 13 mile race and a 30, you know, one or 32 mile race, totally different as far as the level of, of what I was pushing that said the last 10 miles of the 50 K I pushed hard. And in, in, in that I was only having like a little bite of banana because I had front loaded my calories, but I needed something. Mm -hmm. I was, ex I was tired at that point. I still needed to get some fuel in. And I was also using cacao beans from NOLA and Valerie knows NOLA. So no, uh, Valerie, if you haven't gotten the cacao from NOLA, get the cacao beans, get the good sister, the, the stuff the is amazing. Stuff. And if anybody is interested in this, let me know. And I can hook you up with NOLA. Um, the stuff is amazing and I loved it on the 50 K I was going to use it at Santa Rosa, but I didn't need it. I really didn't need it. So, okay. So I hope that answered it. If I didn't, Val, let me know. Okay. What type of meditation techniques or mantras did you use during the 50 K race? So one of the things that, um, I used toward the end was a Kriya, a short Kriya. And what that does is it kind of blows out the chakras and gets everything flowing again. So if you think about the chakra system, it's your energetic spine, not your physical spine, but same kind of area. It's your energetic spine. And if you think about the actual chakras as like eddies in a river, how the eddies will kind of collect and then the water has to go around them. Well, that's what happens in the chakras. So as we suppress emotion or we don't process things or we watch a violent movie or we have an argument, this energy starts to collect in our chakras and we start to create these blockages. And this essentially, you guys, is where injury comes from, but we won't go down that road unless you want to and you can set up an appointment with me and we can talk about it deeper. So this is something that I use in my practice. Uh, you know, I've been meditating for years now. Um, I think Valerie is somebody that is probably already doing this. If not, she should, I would think Val's ready for this. And then it clears things out and it just keeps them, keeps it moving. As far as mantras, I only use OM for my mantra now. And that took years to build up to. So mantras that I've used in the past, my favorite and my first one, and this seems long, but it always fell in step with my feet so perfectly is I can do miraculous things with very little effort. Uh, Iron Man Lake Placid, the first time I did that, 2012, I recited that mantra the entire 26.2 miles. I can do miraculous things with very little effort. I can do miraculous things with very little effort. I can do miraculous things with very little effort for 26.2 miles. So that is focusing the mind. And then I've worked into other ones like um, no pain, only joy. So when pain would come up, it would always come up in my feet. I would say no pain, only joy, no pain, only joy. Um, those are a couple that I've used. And now I only use OM. I just go right to the mothership 
because that is the vibration of the universe. And so that gets me aligned with all that is. And honestly, my only mission in this life is to be aligned with all that is. So that's what I use. And that's what I use during the 50K. If I felt that I... Um, that there were some impulses coming in or, you know, stress in the body. I was pretty peaceful during that race. I found out that I really liked being out in nature. I thought that was really supportive. So, okay. So next question, what was the key to being able to transition from running the 50 K and then onto Ironman? All right. So I think we, yeah, I think we, I think we, I think we addressed that essentially recover really well, ring me out like an almost dry towel that still has a little water in it. Like you wrung me out. You got everything out of my body that we possibly could get out in that second week. And then I tapered and then it was good. And then the Zeal sunglasses were the Idlewilds. I wore, I race in, those are my racing glasses now. The purple now. ones? Yeah, the purple ones. So they're purple and they're, they're white on the inside and they've got a little green and they're awesome. I love them. They don't move on my face. They don't bounce. They're lightweight. Plant-based I, frames. Yeah, and they're plant-based frames. So Zeal sunglasses are amazing. They have great designs. And that is one thing. If I have anything in excess, it's sunglasses. I have like three pairs of do I have three pairs? Three pairs of sunglasses. Hi, Clark. I have three pairs of sunglasses. So the Idlewilds are what I race in now because Clark ate the other racing glasses that Clark, we had. Clark likes the plant-based frames too. Yes, Clark likes the plant-based frames. So he ate those. He's looking yeah. for his dinner right now. Okay, and then our last question is from Anita. And she is racing Ironman Western Australia in December, which is super awesome. So she had a question about race nutrition. I'm doing Ironman Australia, and since I'm traveling abroad, apparently I can't bring any food with me. I don't think any race nutrition will be vegan. I don't eat much on the bike anyway. That's Mm, interesting. Yeah. Hmm. Usually have a few vegan (laughs) bars, flapjacks. That's interesting. I don't think I can survive on just dates. Any suggestions? Something that could be carried in my bike bag or pocket. Okay, so I did some research for you, Anita, because we traveled to Cozumel and we did uh, Ironman down there. And literally, I had one suitcase that was our food. I had our pancake mix in there. I had chia seeds, hemp seeds. Pasta sauce. Pasta sauce wrapped in bubble wrap. Yeah. Fig Newtons. I had pretzels, pita. I had all of our pre-race. Right, yeah. I had everything that was super important to us. I packed that. I had all of our race nutrition packed in our bike cases. So... And I had no problem whatsoever. So we got the declarations on the plane and I claimed that I had all that stuff. So I didn't have any, well, we did, I had an apple by mistake. I wasn't even thinking. It was thinking. in our carry-on. Yeah, and, and that, got comp- eaten the apple. that got, got, that got comp- But you can't it bring a, fruit in. It's a really nice, nice honey, honey crisp. crisp. Oh. I know. It got confiscated because <laughs> you can't bring fruit in. Duh. Everybody knows that. Not. But unfortunately, I, you gotta I tried. You got to find out firsthand. I unconsciously tried to. But I claimed all of it. I said that we had pre-packaged, unopened food. I labeled everything, too. Like, I had Ziplocs with um, baby powder in them, you know, in case there was, like, anybody had, like, a bad chafe and we could baby powder it up. But I was like, I don't want him to think it's, like, cocaine or anything. (laughs) 
So I labeled everything, hemp seeds, chia seeds, baby powder, you know, uh, chamois cream, whatever it was, Vaseline. Like I labeled everything in case they opened up and they would be able to see. So, and we were, Anita and I were going back and forth on Facebook about this. And she was saying that that she couldn't bring any food into Australia. So I looked into it and I did not find anything that said that. I I basically found that doing exactly what we did and claiming it, I mean, you always open yourself up to it being confiscated, but if it's packaged in, so if you have like a pancake mix that you really like that you want to make sure you have, just don't open it. Like we had Bob's Red Mill gluten-free pancake mix with us. And some of the stuff I had in Ziplocs, like I said, and, and and after researching this for her, I can't believe actually that we got hemp seeds in there because you, apparently you're not supposed to bring seeds. But we got everything into Cozumel with no problem. And I looked on the Australian like government page. I looked on forums. I looked at all this stuff. I did all this research. And it seems it didn't anywhere say that you can't bring any food with you, especially race nutrition. So I would, if I were you, I would pack it in with your bike stuff, in with your bike and claim it, you know, that you're bringing this in. And if there's a problem, they'll confiscate it. That's the worst that can happen. But, and I apologize if I researched this all wrong, but I looked and I didn't see anything that said that you couldn't bring, you know, food or race nutrition or anything like that in. So I would, if it was me, I would just plan on packing it all as much, as much as I needed to make sure that I needed for the race. Now that all said, I did some more research for you in case you decide not to go that way. So Amazon, um, dot AU, which is Amazon Australia, they are up and running, but right now they're just selling like Kindle and digital products, but they're going to be launching retail later this year. So you might want to keep your eye out for that because you could order from amazon.au and then ship to an Australian address. You can order from amazon.com. They do ship to Australia and it didn't look like the rates were too high. So you could buy stuff on Amazon and have it shipped to Australia. And then I looked up vegan restaurants on Happy Cow. So there's the Monakai, which is in Bustleton, Australia, which is where the race is. And they have vegan options and they got really good reviews. There's also the Protein Shack, which is, I'm thinking like a, um, you know, like a supplement. No, like oh. a supplement store, like a GNC. And I Facebooked them and they got right back to me and they carry vegan protein powders and other protein and other vegan products. So the Protein Shack, which is also in Bustleton, you might want to check that out. There's Bustleton Health Foods. There's BG's Fruit and Veggie Mart, which is a supermarket. And then there's also Bustleton Fresh IGA, which is another supermarket. And there was reviews that said that there were like so many vegan options there, that there's a large range of um, vegan cheeses and that it was very vegan friendly. So I think you've got lots of options, whether you decide not to bring your food with you. I think you'll be, I, if it was me, I would not be worrying at all. I would have zero concern for, um, if I decided not to bring my food in and just to get stuff when I was there. And then one person that I connected with, which, and she couldn't have been more helpful Her name is Belinda, and she is the owner of Bindi Nutrition. 
Bindi Nutrition, all it's race nutrition, and everything is vegan. So she's she's all vegan. And not only does she have vegan products, but she's like, I've raced this race. It's great. We love showing people around the island. Um, she started listening to the podcast and all this stuff. I mean, she was just so, so, so helpful. She said that um, she uses Bindi natural sports hydration on the bike. And she was, so she was able to avoid using anything on the course. And so if you're interested in contacting Belinda, she's at bindinutrition.com.au. And she's super awesome. She's raced the race twice. If you have any questions about it, she would be somebody to check out. Yeah, she was like, she's happy to help in any way. And she loves people showing around, showing them around the hometown course before the race. So she could be a great contact for you. But I would have zero concern about anything when it comes to being able to get what you need for that race. So if you have any other questions, definitely let us know. And I think that's it. I think that wraps it up. Yeah? Until next time. Until next time. All right, guys. Signing off. Thanks so much for the support. Check out the Patreon page. Check out iTunes. Leave us a review. Yeah, there's still room to leave some reviews. And uh, we do appreciate your support. And it's just so awesome when you guys come out of the woods and you tell us that you're out there. And so... If you're enjoying the show, we're, we're asking for your support back. We, we pour a lot of love into the show every week, and um, we really do want to help create a better world, and we want to do that with you guys. So thank you for your love, and let's just share it with the whole rest of the world, the good, the bad, the ugly. Share it with everyone with loving neutral compassion.